This is Coder Radio, episode 454 for February 21st, 2022. Hello, friends, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us at his backup podcast machine, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hey, 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 I'm on an M1 today. <laughs> I can't believe you never... That's a good little rhyme. <laughs> there you go. Okay, what happened? I know you had some problems this morning. This is a backup machine. This is a backup machine. I've been using the Thaleo again. I don't, I don't even think we really talked about that. It's a power machine. It's been glorious. Yeah, as they are. And I, naively... Went into the pop shop, and it's like, you have updates. And I'm like, sure. I love updates. Let's do it. Yeah, no, totally broke my Wi-Fi. You're using Wi-Fi on the Thaleo? The router's on the other side of the house. I feel you. I don't have Ethernet in Lady Jupes. I only have Wi-Fi, so I know how that goes. Yeah, and, and it's very evil, because if I go into recovery mode, and like you know you can run what is effectively a live image off the partition, Yeah, it's fine. Oh, so it's definitely something in that update, you think? Yeah, it's one of the drivers or some firmware or some nonsense like that, that they batch. We love System76, but you really, like, you can't have that be a thing that through the gooey pop shop can break your Wi-Fi. Yeah, I wonder, I wish there was something I could do to help you troubleshoot it, too, because I don't have any ideas for you. That's tricky. Yeah, I've been looking at things, and it is a common problem-ish. There's some folk, folks on the Mint and Manjaro. Uh, actually, it was the Arch forums, of course, because of course it is. The solutions were all insane. I tried each and every one of them, and they all failed. So then I got desperate. I said, well, there's this little refresh my install thing for, for, for Pop! OS. Surely that just resets all the firmware to, you know, whatever was on the 2110 disk, right? No, just the OS, right? But not the firmwares. Not the firmwares, not the drivers. <laughs> no. So I lost all my data. Yay. I still don't have working Wi-Fi. And the solution that seems obvious is just reinstall 2110. But then at some point, I'm going to have to do like an apt upgrade, right? Or I'm going to make a mistake and click this thing in the pop shop. Because you want some of the updates. Surely you want the new Firefox, and I'm going to break my Wi-Fi again. I have to say, just recently I had a friend who had their display borked after an update in Pop! OS. I'd be willing to bet you in both cases, it's not actually like a Pop! OS thing per se, but apt. Something went wrong with apt. Because anytime I've actually ever had an Ubuntu-based system break badly, it's been something didn't install right or a post-install script didn't run correctly where a package didn't get configured properly because something else didn't happen. I love app. It made me switch away from Red Hat, and I will always be grateful because my systems are so much easier to maintain with app. Back in the day, you had to manually resolve RPM dependencies. It was brutal. So I really, truly do love app, but I feel like it's gotten fragile and brittle. And these are the kinds of things, like, for example, and I'm not trying to make this a Fedora versus Ubuntu thing, but DNF, the package manager for Fedora, does a dry run before it actually installs stuff. And so if something's going to break, it breaks in that dry run. What a brilliant idea. Right. Yeah, that would be great. So I have suspicions. I know there are lots of reasons to update the point versions of your kernel. I'm pretty sure that's what happened here, though, because one of them I saw the list was like, and it was just like a point rev of the Linux kernel headers or whatever. But yeah, 
That's probably what broke it. Yeah, I could see that. And I could see the recovery environment would be using an older version of the kernel. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. There is one thing I didn't try from the Wizards of Arch <laughs> because I am not screwing with my router to accommodate what I consider a software bug on, on either Pop, Linux, or maybe it is Aptitude, right? I have one of those new fancy routers. Well, we can link it in the show notes sometime if I ever figure out what I did with it. That does not broadcast the SSID for 5G and uh, 2.4 hertz separately. It gives you one network name and then it intelligently, quote unquote, routes your traffic. This has never been a problem. But someone was saying that they got desperate and what they did was they forced the router back into that manual mode. I saw the speed test you were doing. Shouldn't you even be getting better speeds on 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi? I mean, the maximum speed I was able to get was 14 megabits a second. And that was like maximum. That's a bummer, man. Well, keep us posted. I was going to open the show with once again, acknowledging the fact that uh, I openly stalk you on Twitter. And um, I saw some really big news this week. So I got two reactions. I mean, first, I'm very excited for you. Second reaction is I'm just a little confused. You're confused? Well, nobody came to me for permission. Yes, I, I got engaged, and I guess I didn't pass <laughs> by. Uh, I forgot in that JP contracting agreement there was that clause, wasn't there? I thought my blessing was required. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand. I mean, we're, we're podcast married. True. You know, we're bringing somebody else into this relationship. Oof, that's a lot for me. And I find out on Twitter. You knew. You knew because I had... <laughs> Yes, I got engaged. Nice. Uh, she's a good woman. Uh, although, in the second part of that tweet was to con- thank you was to convince her to run Linux. Today's showing did not uh, inspire too much confidence. Oh man, that's so embarrassing when that happens. That is the worst. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I assume. I assume we'll probably just take care of the blessing thing later. Oh, we'll talk about. That's it. fine. We'll talk Ooh, about it. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. All right, we did get some great feedback this week. Daryl from South Africa says that uh, I also had troubles with my Nissan radio. I couldn't figure out why my Nissan car system kept rebooting when listening to podcasts. And then I realized it was only when I played the 99% Invisible podcast. I'm guessing that the percent sign is not sanitized and bugged out of the system. So it's not just the Mazdas. The Nissans as well suffered from that problem. Referring to something we talked about last week. All right, but this one came in. This is a problem we've never solved before. And uh, Josh writes in, he says, hey, Coder Crew, I have a conundrum that I hope you'll have a solution for. I don't know about you, but during the winter, my hands get really cold when I'm working. And it's just my hands. If I get a space heater, it gets everything too hot. And I can't really type with gloves on. Do you guys have a solution for cold hands? And you know what? I First of all, I wanted to put this in the show because I bet some people in the audience have some solutions, but I actually went down the rabbit hole and found a few products for Josh. I don't know. You probably don't have this problem in Florida. (laughs) This is probably not something you worry about. Yeah, not not really, no. (laughs) You bastard. Alligator hands, snake in the bathroom. Yeah, all those. Yeah, those are problems. Okay, yeah. All right, fair. (laughs) Uh, So the number one is, I know he said, Josh said he didn't want a space heater. I am going to link to a 500-watt ceramic small space personal mini heater. This thing is so great. I have one of these. I bought it back in October of 2019, and it just does a real small radius. That's one thing to consider. But but Josh, I got the real solution for you here. And of course, this is a product. It's a warm desk pad. You know those giant mouse pads that are such a thing now? Well, some brilliant entrepreneurs have created one that is heated. So the space right where your hands can rest by your keyboard can be warmed. 
And of course, it'll warm the keyboard a little bit as well. And uh, it's also a mouse pad. So it's a ginormous heated mouse pad for your desk. Also, it says don't wrap it around your body. Just put it on your desk. It's 31 by 13 inches. So that's pretty neat. And you know what? It's like 22 bucks after uh, tax. That's not bad for something like that. That's really good, yeah. But if anybody has a solution, coder.show slash contact. All right, but now here is our tough question of the week. I think we're going to have to chew on this one for a minute. Andrew writes, and he said, I've been listening to Coder for years, and I've come to value your opinions about technology in the industry. Recently, my doctor told me I may lose my eyesight, and I have been reading about technical solutions to my vision problems. I came across this article in the IEEE Spectrum yesterday, and I wanted your thoughts on how medical implant makers should support devices when they go out of business. And so I took a look at this article, Mike, and they've got like a story in here about three patients. And there's actually like 350 people that are affected by this. But these three, they focus on three patients. And they have these second sight implants in their eyes that give them sight. And it's totally changed their life. but the company. In one case is like being sold. The other one's focusing in on a new vision and discontinuing support. Like in, in the cases that they talk about in this article, like the companies are either just moving on or have been sold and they're no longer supporting that. And like one problem, a broken wire, a loose connection, the thing's out forever. And to add injury to insult, a defunct system in the eye could cause medical complications, interferes with procedures like MRI scans, and is painful and expensive to remove, but the company is no longer supporting it. And this is a huge topic, but it just seems like obvious. This is a direction we're going to go in. Your good buddy, Elon Musk is working on a brain implant so you can code even better. So you can always be in the zone. And, uh, Andrew's looking down at, you know, looking at options and thinking, how do I pick something? How do I even navigate this? And I'm, I'm struggling to even come up with some basic answers for him. Yeah. I don't know. That's, uh, that's a that's a real tough one. Ooh, that is a tough one. Yeah, I don't even know. I see. It's an area I don't know too much about. Isn't there some kind of law that those kind of things have to be supported for the lifetime of of the of the device itself? I mean, I don't think so. You know, I think of Karen Sandler, who works for the Software Freedom Conservancy, and she always tells the story about trying to get just the information on the pacemaker that she had to get installed at a young age. And just trying to even just talk to the medical industry about why a patient might want to have access to this information. And, you know, she views it as a free software issue. And I kind of agree with her. I think she makes a pretty good case for it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Something you're putting in your body. I mean, I can't uh, I can't think of a more, uh, frankly, like intimate device device that you would want to to know exactly how it works and what's the deal. You know, what's the life expectancy? I also think of diabetics who have pumps or uh, measurement measurement tools, and all of those are proprietary commercial products that connect back to a proprietary iPhone app or Android app. And while the grass is green, and you know everybody's on board, and they're paying developers to develop the app and support it, like great, it works. But this is something you need for your entire life. And what if one day those things go away? I think that's something we have to think a lot about because. My gut tells me we are as a society will rush into this, Mm -hmm. especially in competitive areas. You know, if you could get an implant in your brainstem and you could learn Kung Fu in, if you can learn Kung Fu in like 15 seconds, 
would you seriously not be tempted by that? And if, you know, replace Kung Fu with anything, you know, what if tomorrow you could somehow learn everything you needed to know about Rust that you could learn practically that you don't learn by just doing? You could just plug in tomorrow and be a technical Rust expert. How could you say no to that? We're going to rush into this like crazy. I feel like you definitely want to say no to that, right? I, I'm sorry. I just, it's funny because we've talked about on the show, I have a heart condition and they keep trying to build better modified hearts, right? And they're, to their credit, the doctors doing this are, I mean, they're genuine innovation. But the last few they've done, the, what's almost all men, the men they put them in have, uh, you know, they're fine, they're fine, they're fine. And then they just drop because, oh, there's some unforeseen interaction between like uh, giving you this, it was in France, they built like a synthetic heart. And turns out, I forgot what killed him. He, he, it was like some kind of a weird electrical thing. He couldn't be around, but no one knew that. And he just died. Right. It's, it's, I can't, imagine like putting something like you're saying into my brainstem just because i want my wi-fi to work. i mean because i want to to learn rust and then like maybe later will i be unable do you know what i mean will there yeah. be some weird interaction with some external force or even an internal biological change in me that then causes that implant or that chip to start malfunctioning or an injury a car accident you know you hit that point anything right what if god forbid you know, I'm the victim of a crime and someone assaults me and hits me the wrong way, right? Or realistically, you know, Elon goes to Mars to become the king. Oh, God. His implant company closes up shop uh, because of the lag time. And uh, then you're left with an unsupported brainstem implant. Right. And it runs apt. And then you get two conflicting <laughs> two conflicting implants and you just die. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I almost feel, okay, the law doesn't exist. Somebody's DMing me. But like, maybe there shouldn't be a law that says for these products you by law have to say how long you're going to support it. You know, these things exist, right? Bonding, right? Like a bound insurance policy that if your company goes out of business, well, that insurance pays out to all the the uh, patients who've gotten this because I would be so afraid of any of these new things. Even like mergers and acquisitions, right? Let's say that like evil pharma company just buys out the little company that does your implant. Have you seen Repo, the genetic opera? It's bad. Uh, no, yeah. Right? Gonna... <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I know that's dystopia, but best of luck to the writer. Well, if we have time, speaking of dystopia, if we have time, I want to tell you about my weekend in the metaverse, but we'll see if we get there. We'll see. Oh my God. Why would you do that to yourself? I had to try it out. I had, to, I was gifted an Oculus. I had to try it out. Would you like to spend a weekend in Leavenworth too? It's probably better. You know, Leavenworth is a wonderful little town. <laughs> a, if you're ever going to make it to the Pacific Northwest, it's a wonderful little town, but you better. Uh, well, if I ever make it to the Pacific Northwest, that's probably where. So <laughs> It's a Bavarian themed town in the hills. It's pretty adorable, actually. In the winter, it's sort of perfect. Hey, before we go on, I just want to give a special shout out to the No Agenda program. The remix we played for your video game intro, we were told by a listener on Twitter, is from their show. And that checks out. They have an amazing community who is producing all kinds of jingles and whatnot for them all the time. We, we don't need to play it because, it, you know, it's got the swear words and whatnot. But we wanted to give them a shout out because that's a fun, that's a fun jingle. And it made Mike's day. That's what really matters. You know, I always see if I can make you smile with a soundboard clip. What was that about again? Is Was there a way we can glue this together? I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it would be great. You know, maybe Joe could come in and give him an attaboy. Woo! <laughs>
linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. Linode is the developer's cloud. They got 11 data centers worldwide, and they have been hard at work for 19 years creating the best experience to host your applications. If you like to build it yourself from the ground up, or you're ready to deploy a stack that's going to get you set and going in minutes, they've got options for you. I'm saying like server admin for 20 years, or this is your first project, they've got a route and a path for you. And they've got the best customer support in the business. That is the number one thing I hear from the audience. Number two is the performance is incredible. But number one is the support. I hear that like, you know, something blew up. I did X, Y, Z. I had these questions. I know they just rolled out these new PCI MVME storage. Like, how do I use that properly? They answered those questions. Linode nails it every single time. The performance is incredible. That's what I love about it. That's what made me stick with it. And now we use Linode for basically just about every bit of hosting we've built that is audience facing and just about every little bit of hosting we've built that is internally facing as well. They really are just always making it better too. So if you go try it for a little bit, you'll see what I'm talking about, how the dashboard works, how the information you get when you glance at your system so you get an idea of how it's doing overall, how they clearly explain what the backup state is and how simple it is to take advantage of their API with their command line client or Python libraries or you name it, they've got support for it. So go get that $100 and really try it out. Go build something and support the show. Linode.com slash coder. So today we find out that Chris Ladner has left the Swift core team. He writes, to answer your question, the root cause of my decision to leave the core team is a toxic environment in the meetings themselves. The catalyst was a specific meeting last summer. After being insulted and yelled at over a WebEx, not the first time and not just one core team member, I decided to take a break. I was able to get leadership to eventually discuss the situation with me last fall, but after avoiding dealing with it, they made excuses and made it clear they weren't planning to do anything about it. As such, I decided not to return. They reassure me that they want to, quote, make sure things are better for others in the future based on what we've talked about, end quote. And then the core team announced today that they are going to restructure the team's leadership in the wake of this announcement. But when you dig into it, it looks like Latner's really been out since last summer. And it's just everybody in the public is figuring it out now. What's your take? You're more into the whole community, like hippie stuff. Well, what I know of Ladner is he seems like a pretty reasonable, level-headed, practical person. However, this comes on pretty hot. You know, th- when you start throwing around toxic environment and that you were getting yelled at, that's, those are some strong accusations. And I hope that's not true because nobody should be getting yelled at in a work environment. But I wish we knew both sides of this story in particular because I can't help but feel in the back of my mind that rock star mentality still is a thing. Somebody can get big enough where they can be like, I'm not getting the respect I deserve. I've said this is the way it is and this is the way it is. And you're fighting. Why are you arguing with me? You know, and that can also be their perspective sometimes. And they don't necessarily realize that's the standpoint they're coming from. And that can also add friction in a team meeting. So it's hard to really know what's going on here. I don't think it's the end of the day for Swift. I think Swift is going to be just fine. You know, I think it's interesting that we're getting the story very shortly after we got uh, some more about the Rust brouhaha. And it, it definitely seems like these modes of community management and engagement are, I don't want to say like prob- 
being a problem. I think they're changing somehow, right? I mean, if you want to laugh, read the old Linux mailing list. It's, uh, woo! <laughs> Things get heated or, honestly, uh, old Linux message boards and somebody, some poor bastard would come in with a username that had Mike in it and say he was running Mint and people would be mean to him. I'm not bitter. My Wi-Fi worked back then. <laughs> back then? Back in my day, you just turned the damn thing on and put in the WEP key. <laughs> I don't know. I see. This is where I have very little patience for a lot of the like political community stuff. Are, are we seeing more of this? Or is it just my perception of being like cranky and old and being a little... I think everyone is cooked. Okay. I think you know, you're seeing more stories about fights on airplanes. You're seeing more stories about uh, community fights. It's just everyone's fried from the last couple of years is what my sense of it is. I also, reading through all of this, got the sense that Latner has been concerned about the technical direction of Swift for a little bit. And so you could see how that also adds some friction to the situation. And I also wonder if the people yelling at him were Apple employees and what Apple's policy is around that kind of stuff. I mean, I would imagine if we were to draw a Venn diagram, you know, important people in the Swift projects, people employed by Apple who work on the Swift project is probably, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big intersection there, I, I would assume. The part that does ring true to his uh, overall point here is that there was yelling going on. I bet that is true. And that's, you know, it's probably a sign it's time to check out, get out. You know, he doesn't need to stick around for that. Also, you got to remember the initial pitch for Swift was uh, it was going to be like scale from scripting to systems development. That is not a a easy nut to crack. Well, the thing that got you all hot and bothered this week is that Microsoft is apparently going to require future versions of Windows 11 Pro to have a Microsoft account, even at setup. So this is something they started doing with Windows like Home. And now in the newer versions of Windows 11, it's still in the like early dev channel. They've made some improvements, some UI changes, some do not disturb improvements. But the big new thing is that you can no longer create a local user account for even Windows 11 Pro. You'll have to use a Microsoft account. You'll have to have an internet connection while you're setting the computer up. Now, obviously, Microsoft could change this. Yeah, this this also means, though, this is where this kind of grinds my gears, to quote Peter Griffith. If you are doing what I frequently do, which is per- purchase Surface Go's or Surface Tablets, and just not configure them with user accounts to give to customers as like, you know, this is your kiosk, that is now not really possible. You have to buy the special license. It's funny, like I, I saw the comments on this. I read it as, oh, so you're screwing little companies who like basically just code to Windows because every literally the nice thing about Windows is there any random piece of crap I buy on AliExpress for a like dongle or whatever almost certainly has a very shoddy but existing Windows driver. For those who don't know, AliExpress is like a, it's like a Chinese Walmart, but they sell lots of parts. Is that fair? Or Chinese Amazon, I should say. Yeah, Amazon and Walmart in one, maybe. And also a eBay, a little bit of an eBay. <laughs> a little bit of an eBay. It's weird. You can buy like, but you can buy like a random, just like, I plug this in and it does NFC reading, right? Like it's. Yeah, yeah lots of weird random components and parts and gadgets. And one of the nice things is, you know, these manufacturers all assume that you're running windows a lot of them also support some variants of linux and that just become a whole of a hell of a lot less uh really cost effective right i don't like it i think you should be able to own your device 
Well, yeah. And what about those of us that have young kids? Like, I mean, my kids are not using Windows, but if they were, I would not want my seven-year-old daughter to to need a Microsoft account. I don't want to log her into my Microsoft account. Local accounts are what I would always use for my kids. I have that exact problem. My son wants to play Xbox. And it's like one thing for him to play Minecraft or Plants vs. Zombies, right? I don't care. Go ahead. Like, when he's logged in as me, he's me, right? He can just, like, go in and do stuff. So if you were going to bet on this, do you think Microsoft tweaks this? I mean, they already do it for home. So it's, I mean, that's the part that makes me think this might be a lock. I think what they'll do is what they tend to do, have like some super duper enterprise plan where you go through a salesman, right? And you can just get around this. Yeah. Like I think if you buy some of the business versions of Windows, like already, yeah. But they cost more money. I mean, I was just dunking on, on, uh, I wasn't dunking, but I'm a little irritated with the whole Wi-Fi problem I'm having, but this is why I'm still super bullish on Linux because, you know, if let's just say System76 pulls some nonsense and it's like, oh, you have to have a pop account, please never even make that a thing. Just don't. You didn't hear that, Carl. Leave it alone. <laughs> I could be like, all right, screw you. I'm putting on my Fedora with Chris, right? We're going. Fedora land. Let's go. Ha ha. And, you know, if you're doing embedded devices, there is only one true base OS. It's called Debian. It's great. And also, if it's a server, you could use SUSE. I like SUSE. I have a plushie. You know, my take on this, and this has been my take now for a very, very, very long time, is I have always found, when I worked in the industry professionally and looking at it now as a consumer, I have always found the multiple versions of Windows to be ridiculously stupid and annoying. Because we all know it's it's normalized now. It's the same thing. They just unlock the features. <laughs> yep. It's stupid, arbitrary marketing dividing lines that they've created to productize a lineup to make a good, better, best type lineup. And it's so lame. One of the things I'm I'm really glad that Apple dropped years ago is that stupid, lame pretense. And I wish there was just Windows. You could have pre-setup modes or some stupid crap like that because you know they'd have to have that. But I've always found that really annoying. It feels something like it's out of the 80s or 90s. It definitely absolutely is something that like the biz exec sales type people come up with. It's not something the engineers are fighting for, you know, and then they are, of course, from above dictating from a sales perspective to the engineering team what features get locked up and how. And they have to create all of that and make all of it possible. And so it just creates work that's even outside the scope of just working on the core OS features and bugs. It's so lame. And it's a way to price gouge consumers for something that costs them the same amount to make. I mean, it is what it is, and Microsoft knows better than I do, but I've always found that such a distasteful aspect of Windows. And now they're really rubbing it in your face with this stuff. Because now you got to buy an even more expensive version of something that's exactly the same thing as the cheaper version, but just doesn't have this absolutely lame limitation. I wonder if it, maybe they're not just trying to squeeze money out of Windows. Maybe this is everybody's a services company now, right? Nobody wants to just like make the thing and sell it to you. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Watch them in two years start bragging about how many, you know, Microsoft accounts, the active Microsoft accounts they have. I bet that's what it is. Cause it isn't, isn't, yeah. Cause my Xbox account is just my personal email. So that is a Microsoft account. If they can get you to get that account created and set up at Go when you're installing the PC, then you're already logged into the store, man. You're already one step closer. That that little friction point's been removed. 
Wait, is it going to be like Chrome where I can't understand that I have two versions of me? One's my personal email, one's my the Mad Botter one that has all the licenses? Oh, God. Oh. Just no. Just no. No. No accounts. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. That's where you go to get a two-week free trial and support the show. Datadog is a software-as-a-service monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for developers, IT operations, security, and business teams in the cloud age. Datadog's platform, along with over 500 vendor-backed integrations, allows you to correlate your metrics, traces, and logs, and security signals across all of your applications, your entire infrastructure, and third-party services in one beautiful single pane of glass. These capabilities, combined with the drag-and-drop dashboards and machine learning-based alerts, help teams troubleshoot and collaborate more effectively. This prevents downtime, and it enhances performance, reliability, and communication. So, got an exclusive offer for Coder Radio listeners. Go sign up for a two-week free Datadog trial at datadog.com slash coderadio, and you'll receive a free Datadog t-shirt. And you support the show. Free swag and beautiful monitoring. Datadog.com slash coderadio. And happy monitoring. So Coinbase has kind of just said the quiet part out loud about the App Store that really just puts it all in perspective. Coinbase's CEO, Brian Armstrong, wrote on February 4th, quote, for any app to be listed in Apple and Google's app stores, it needs to play by the rules of those two companies. He goes on to say, our approach is to be free speech supporters, but not free speech martyrs. And so he's essentially saying if a critical partner such as Apple or Google objects to something and requires its removal, they won't even fight it. They just remove the feature and they don't bother engaging with that aspect of the business as a company. They just say, all right, we wanted to try that thing. Apple has told us no. So Coinbase isn't getting into that business. That's the level of power Apple has now as a gatekeeper, as queen of the mobile land. Well, the alternative is you get beheaded by the queen, a la, you know, Alice in Wonderland. So. So this is dark in a few ways to me. Coinbase represents a nascent business and a nascent industry that is developing very, very rapidly and is extremely competitive. The exchange aspect of the cryptocurrency market is the most competitive element of the market, I would imagine. And other exchanges are constantly adding features. And some of them give zero about Apple. And so some of them do. And what some of them have done have just created simplified versions of their exchange that they release as an app for the iOS app store. And then if you want the full thing, you go to the web page. But Coinbase has kind of just gone the opposite route and just said, no, we're not, you know what? We're not even really concerned about it as an entire business objective if we can't ship it through the app store. That to me is almost a chilling effect on a nascent industry. It's concerning because Coinbase is the largest in the US in this industry. And if they're essentially kowtowing, you can imagine this is an industry-wide problem. Not to say this is a good thing, but what would you have them do that doesn't destroy their business? You're stuck with the App Store rules. You're stuck. If you're, if you're the CEO of Coinbase, you have investors. And I know, you know, we, we can listen to, uh, to Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher, who are usually right about this, that a lot of the founders basically control their boards. But 
I don't think any founder can walk into the board and be like, all right, guys, here's the plan. We're going to piss off Apple and they're going to throw us off the app store. All right. Tim Sweeney aside. Right. It's it's a it's a rare thing. You're right. That Well, that just proves the point. Yeah. So it's kind of like and the board would say, uh, no vote of no confidence. Bye, buddy. You have to. If I mean, if I was making a piece of consumer software, I wouldn't even consider not putting it on iOS. I suppose it doesn't surprise us. But I think it's noteworthy because it is somebody saying out loud what we've been what we've really been speculating for a while. And they're just kind of outwardly admitting it. And they're just kind of admitting it as well. This is the cost of doing business in this segment. That's remarkable. And it makes me wonder if in 20 years we'll look back or even 10 years because things change pretty quick. We look back and we realize just how Google and Apple shaped the worlds that we lived in how they really controlled what comes to market and what doesn't from not just a software standpoint, but from a chip and silicon standpoint to all of it, right? Like they are setting the pace from everything from car infotainment systems to wearables. And it's remarkable the control and grip that they have. And I think this just demonstrated it to me. And meanwhile, everybody's freaking out about Facebook, you know, and they're like this little punk kid. Uh, so, uh, okay. Um, how you feeling? I'm all right. I mean, it's a little boring. You know, it's uh, could use a little more uh, transport effects and uh, and popcorn. So what did, what did you do in Metaverse? I was really, I've been thinking about getting an Oculus Quest recently because oh. I know, I know, I know, but I just don't, I hate, I hate to, you know, run my mouth and not have any idea what I'm talking about. So a uh, family member, close family member, gifted one to me for my birthday, slightly used but in pretty great shape still reactivated my Facebook, or I guess relogged into my Facebook account for like the first time in two years. Yeah. It was never gone. Chris, don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. Set it all up. And what really pushed it over into something I was actually actively interested in trying is when I realized that they have these apps to build like your, your ultimate virtual home office that goes with you wherever you go. And so you picture me, right? In lady jupes, the RV, I can sit up front in a seat and create a beautiful working environment. So what I have right now is a studio log cabin with beautiful wood paneling ceiling, panoramic windows that are, it's on top of a hill and down below me is a lake with fog. And there, it's often raining, so there's raindrops coming down the window. And I'm on a giant couch and I have a giant, probably 120 inch screen above me, in front of me, and two to my side. And they are bringing in windows from my actual computer and I'm using my keyboard and mouse. And it's a pretty fun, nice, chill way to work. All right. So, so you're sitting, you're in the front seat of Lady Tubes. You've got the, the Oculus on physically. Like, and I've got my computer up front with me and my keyboard and mouse is up there in this spot. Is it running some software on your computer? Yes. Is your computer still running Fedora? Uh, you can use it with uh, one monitor with Fedora. And you can use it with multiple screens with the Mac and Windows. So wait, is it a, is it a monitor to virtual monitor situation? Yeah, it creates virtual monitors in there. And then it also brings in your primary screen. Huh. What's the limitation on, on Linux? Is it just they haven't done it yet? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just maybe they just haven't developed it out. It's still kind of new. The app I'm using call, is called Immerse, but there's several of them. So there might be other ones that have better support. How does it look, though? Like, you can't. It works pretty good. It looks pretty good. The resolution of the actual Oculus itself could be better. And that is something I'm sure they'll do with the Oculus 3. But it's I used it for I've used it so far for a couple of hours. 
I would say I felt like I had more room. You know, it just made me feel like I had more space. And the other thing that's fascinating is then I brought it here to the studio, put it on, and I had like the same exact working environment. I thought, oh, there's some efficiencies in creating one ultimate virtual office and then bringing that with me. The only limitation is, is it, it needs to be connected to a computer to bring in computer screens. And if the Oculus was more powerful, you could, in theory, run those applications on the Oculus directly. And that's where I realized Apple's going. That's why they're putting M1s in their headset. And they're going to charge $2,000 and put an 8K screen in there. Because if you put a real beefy CPU in that thing and you up the resolution just a tiny bit, it's there. It's so close. It's so close. It's alarmingly close. I did not expect it to be as polished as it was. The UI to navigate the thing, the experiences, the apps around it, the Oculus eco app ecosystem. I even found out there's a whole ecosystem called the SideQuest ecosystem where you put the quest into developer mode and you can sideload a whole bunch of VR apps that aren't in the official store. It's impressive. And you wouldn't even really know it's Android. It's really well done. And I could definitely see Apple executing on something like this. And if they integrated this headset with Mac OS or with iPad OS, it would be fire. It would be unbelievable. It could be such a great, if I could put on the headset and essentially have my entire computing environment, huge. It, it, it was great. And you can have giant screens. You can have unlimited space. And then I can have multiple rooms and you can bring other people in. Oh, last thing. But this was also so great. You can bring in a virtual web camera that shows up as a video device on your computer. And you can join Zoom calls and whatnot from your virtual office as your virtual avatar. And you can place the camera anywhere in the 360 degree space and participate in a Zoom meeting from your virtual office. Okay, so when they see you, are they seeing your avatar or are they? See- yeah, they see your avatar chilling in your cool pad. Does your avatar like move with you? Yeah, and it uses the microphone to move the lips when you talk. And the motion tracking is insanely precise. The most precise I've ever experienced. So it every little nuance it's aware of. Okay, so in theory, if I got one of these, we could like do the show... I could invite you into my chill pad or there's several there's this is one of the big areas is like these social things like one is called like big room or big screen or something like that. You get a home theater that you can invite people into and they even provide some of the streaming content. So like last night I was watching Star Trek TNG in a virtual living room. I could bring other people in and they could hang out at my couch and we could watch it and we see each other in real time. We talk and we're synchronized video playback. It's pretty neat. Oh, man, I might have to actually try this. I'd say it's better than I expected with the caveat that I can still see they have room to improve. You know, like battery life needs to be better. I think it needs a little more horsepower, but it's surprisingly how well polished it is. And you can stream what what people are seeing in VR to your phone or to your desktop. I think it's just using like Chromecast or something. So you can help people navigate it by watching on your phone. Then you can tap a button on the app and it brings up the camera and you can do a side-by-side capture of of what they are seeing in VR and of course, what your camera phone is actually getting in real life. And you can c- create a little side-by-side video inside the Oculus app to capture the, the experience. Pretty neat. Or you can go full screen on their VR and see what they're seeing. And you can even launch some apps for them and change a few settings, which is great when you're demonstrating it for people. 
And you can play Resident Evil 4 because that game was on every platform, apparently. <laughs> I got I got Quake 2 last night because, of course. Did you really? And I got motion sick like an old man. <laughs> it really, you move quick in Quake 2. I mean, that was some twitchy first-person shooting. Uh, that was really something. The YouTube VR is surprisingly good, too, because those are real-life images. So it's, it's as high-res as it gets. This actually does some kind of cool crap. I know. After I've used it, I have so little doubt that Apple's working on one of these and that it's probably not that far away and that I'm probably going to want it. If they integrate it with the Mac or they integrate it with with your phone or tablet where you can bring those apps in, it's going to be huge. Oh, man. Very excited because you don't need to buy a big monitor ever again. You no longer need to buy multiple screens. I don't need to even worry about a fancy office. I could be sitting in a little podunk closet and put that thing on and feel like I am in a beautiful wood cabin. It's so awesome. Vader Immortal pack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm buying one. That's all. That's it. Buying it. Oculus Quest 2. Here we go. Ah, damn it. Now I want to build something. Give Apple 30% because you know theirs is going to be better. Oh, yeah. But it's going to be like $2,000. How much are people paying for GPUs right now? Oh, you're right. You're right. You can later, too, you can get a cable to connect it to your computer, and you can actually do PC VR games as well. Oh, wow. But I actually think the charm of this thing is that it's totally enclosed, like a, like a switch. You know, you don't need any computer. I got it through a family member who got an Amazon refurbished. So they got a refurbished unit. I picked it off of them, and they gave it to me for, like, a birth, birthday discount for, like, 180 bucks. But you, I was trying to talk Wes into it. I found one on Amazon for 350 bucks. And that seems like an outrageously great deal, too, because when I was pricing it initially after all the accessories, I was expecting to pay like seven hundred dollars. Yeah. I mean, there's a range of prices you can pay. If you buy it directly, you're going to pay more. But if you buy it used. So what accessories do you actually need? There's all kinds of accessories, but I just I picked up a case from Amazon. I've got it for my dad. So my dad had like covers for the uh, joysticks or whatever they're called, the little uh, handle things. But I don't like those. The thing that really strikes me about it is there is an impressive amount of technology built in that little headset. Like it is doing an incredible amount of things. The Oculus team is at the top of their game. It's really something. And I think people have kind of passed over this because of the Facebook thing. Cause I, I admit that also caused me a lot of delay, but getting past that, cause I, what I decided is like, this is something I'm just exploring. I don't think I'm going to go very deep into this Oculus ecosystem. I don't expect to be buying like the Oculus 3 and the Oculus 4, maybe, but I just don't think this is going to be it for me. But I wanted to see if the idea held up. Well, I suppose in part, if you know, if I had to pay $700, I probably still wouldn't have done it, to be, to be fair. But because I could get it at a discount and because I don't expect to go all in forever, I'm okay with the compromise of using Facebook for a little bit. You know, like to me, it's, it's sort of like the same thing of, yeah, I'm using Google, I use Apple, I got, I got a Microsoft account. It's, it's just, not ideal, but it's the compromise I make. And ultimately, I imagine if Apple does ship something that seems interesting and competitive, I'll probably end up getting it now. Whereas before, I probably would have considered mocking it, something like like a headset that's $2,000. Okay, well, add to cart. You know what? Maybe next week I will tell you about my virtual workspace. Oh, yeah. Check out the Immersed app. There's a few of them in there. The games are pretty great. Enjoy it. Let me know how it goes. Let us all know. And if you got any tips out there, if you've got one, coder.show slash contact. I tell you what, the kids loved it. I, that was a whole fight. Oh, I bet. <laughs>
Oh my gosh, dude. Every, every 10 minutes, dad, it's my turn. Dad, it's my turn. Dad, can I go first tomorrow on the VR? (laughs) I love it. Hey, our new Coderly is out. That's something we do for our members, a special member only episode once a quarter. You can become a member at coderqa.co and support the show or support the entire network and get every show on the network ad free at jupiter.party. Become part of the party at jupiter.party. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you would like to send people this week? Yeah, just at Dumanuko on Twitter and alice.dev. Yeah, the holiday addiction definitely begins. I had a hard time putting it down last night. Call me Reginald Barkley. Can you make your own like models for for the metaverse thing? Here's what I think you can do, because I've seen this on YouTube. And if anybody out there knows, please let me know. But I think you could use the freaking LiDAR scanner on your freaking iPhone to totally capture an area create a 3D model, and then somehow get that on the Oculus. I've seen it done on YouTube. Well, that sounds really good. I realized recently, like, I'd like to capture the studio, you know, because I won't always have the studio. Yeah. This has been a big part of my life. I'd like to actually, how rad would it be to be able to walk back in the studio in 20 years? That would be very cool. Yeah. So if anybody knows how to capture that stuff, let me know. Or anything else. Feedback, thoughts on the show, responses to thought-provoking emails, coder.show slash contacts, where you do all that. You can subscribe to get the show weekly. We have a subscribe link up there, as well as general links on the site for that. Pretty easy. Links to some of the things we specifically talked about today, like Immersed, that app I'm using for my virtual office. That's all over at coder.show slash 454. It's real simple that way. And if you'd like to support the show that doesn't involve money, you could just tell a friend, someone who'd be interested. Word of mouth is the best form of advertising for podcasts. And last but not least, you can always send us a boost with a new podcast app that supports value for value. We love those as well. Thanks so much for joining us. See you right back here next week.